many cases in history where a doctor is assassinated by a king. But back in Bavaria in the 19th century, this actually happened. There was this really eccentric monarch called Ludwig II. Apparently he went mad, started doing really odd things like inviting his horse for dinner, going for joyrides in a sleigh at night, and one day he found his hands clasped around his psychiatrist's throat. At least, that's how the story goes. ever episode of the Medical Republic podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Ruby and I'm Felicity. So this is a pretty exciting day because we have been talking about doing a podcast for a very long time now. About a year I think. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For those of you who don't know what the Medical Republic is, we're a print and online magazine for GPs. We've also launched a magazine called the Rheumatology Republic for rheumatologists. Mm. Uh, But we thought, what the heck, let's do a radio show. And um, our first episode is going to be on a really kind of quirky case way back in history about the time that a king killed his psychiatrist. I think it's the only case in history where that happened. And hopefully the only one in the future as well. But there's quite a bit of controversy about how the events actually played out. Mm. Okay, so it all starts back in Bavaria. There was a really eccentric monarch called Ludwig II. And he was hated by his royal court uh, because he almost bankrupted the state by building these elaborate fairy tale castles. So thank God he did. Um, Clearly it was a good move for us in present day. Uh, Not so good for him though. Uh, I think he was pretty well hated by a lot of his royal court for uh, the huge expenses of that, it being totally unnecessary, and he's really erratic and eccentric behaviour. Yep, he had some pretty expensive tastes. He was also obsessed with classical music um, and was in love with Richard Wagner, the classical composer. Um, And I think he dedicated one of his castles to him. He also began bringing his horse into dinner with him and quite kindly gave the horse a golden crown to wear. Oh, so he's sharing his monarchy. That's sweet. (laughs) Yeah, a very animal-loving kind of king. (laughs) Um, And he became a recluse when Wagner died uh, and was pathologically shy, which got everyone quite nervous. Um, And one example of this was that he would go to his royal council meetings, put up a screen and just hide behind it. And it was around that time as well that he started just sitting in front of a mirror, looking at himself, pulling faces. My favourite fact about him is that he would go for nocturnal sleigh rides, which is an example of his sort of childish behaviour. But also goals. Who wouldn't want to do that? I would do that if I was a king. (laughs) All of these things actually sound like quite a lot of fun. Is he mad or did he just have access (laughs) to more stuff that we're not allowed to do? So in the midst of this madness, he managed to annoy just about everyone. And they had the great idea of getting rid of him by bringing in a posse of psychiatrists who would diagnose him as being mentally unwell. One psychiatrist came out to examine the king and they both went for this walk around the lake and that's the last time they were seen alive. But the real expert on this is Robert Kaplan. He's a forensic psychiatrist from Sydney and uh, we're about to get him on the phone to have a chat. Hi, thanks for having me on board. I understand that you're about to publish a book called The King Who Strangled His Psychiatrist and Other Dark Tales. When's the book coming out? It's it's with the publishers at the moment and... uh, Hopefully it will be out sometime this year, although I can't give you the exact date. Um, and uh, I remember you saying you've got a chapter in the book about King Ludwig, is that right? Oh, yes. Look, I mean, that's the title. 
And uh, I've put this in towards the end because I don't want to spoil my punchline, but that's correct. <laughs> okay, we won't spoil it either. Okay, perfect. Um, all right, so just cracking into it more. Um, it seems like we have a murder mystery on our hands. What happened in the lead up to the death of Ludwig II and von Guden? He took over the throne from his father. Sorry, his, his father and his grandfather had also been kicked out for misbehaviour. But Ludwig really behaved quite strangely. First of all, he spent all the, the Bavarian state money on these fairy tale castles, which now millions of people visit every year. But at the time, they just thought they were useless and they were bankrupting the state. He behaved in many ways very strangely. He'd scream abuse at servants. He'd uh, threaten ridiculous punishments. But I think what upset people the most uh, was the fact that he would go down to the palace stables or the barracks and have his way with the young men. And he did this quite openly. So in Catholic Bavaria in 1880s, that did not go down well. So this progressed on and the court eventually decided we've got to get rid of them. And seeing as assassination was no longer considered acceptable, they found in the Constitution a uh, clause that said if the king is insane, he can be stood down and detained and a regent appointed. And this is exactly what they did. But the problem is, was the way they went about it, even by the standards of those days, in that they got the four psychiatrists together. Uh, von Gooden was the leading psychiatrist in Germany at the time, so he certainly was a high flyer. And they just gave them some information. And the psychiatrist signed a paper saying, yes, he's insane and he should be stood down. Now, this, they didn't examine him. Uh, and the information they were given was obviously highly biased, but they didn't bother to clarify that. So the next step is they then go to Ludwig, who's, of course, uh, extremely concerned, but also extremely drunk. And after a while, they persuade him to go to this castle where he's going to be detained. Then finally, they say, all right, now we're going to get Ron Gooden to examine you. And, well, that's when the tragedy occurred. Okay, and so what happened on the night that both the king and the psychiatrist were killed? Well, as psychiatrists do, he thought, let's find a nice, let's create a nice environment for our little chat. And he invited uh, Ludwig to come with him for a walk around the castle lake. And they told uh, the guards to stand back so that they were almost out of vision so that he could talk freely, presumably. And that was the last time they were seen alive. They just never came back from the walk. And early the next morning, a frantic search was done. And yes, they found the two bodies. Uh, by all appearances, it looked as if von Gooden had been strangled and he'd been, he was sort of lying on the water's edge and the king's body was floating in the water, appearing to be drowned. Well, this caused a huge sensation and certainly something of a cover-up. So they did very hasty post-mortems and uh, tried to wrap the matter up and forget it ever happened. 
And was the postmortem botched? I would say it was botched, but I don't think they did anything more than the very basics and didn't challenge the story. What they inadvertently set in chase is one of these endless conspiracy theories every decade, like the story of Jack the Ripper or the Kennedy killing with somebody coming up with new ideas as to what had happened. I think the latest one is that um, somebody from the court had actually shot Ludwig in the back and then they had to dispose of von Gooden because he'd seen it. Uh, This is the explanation I saw from a German filmmaker recently. But it just goes on with people trying to come up with new explanations. So what other sorts of theories do psychiatrists toss around at dinner parties about the death? Well, the the other thing is I call it a psychiatric parlour game. It's uh, looking back, which is always difficult. Uh, We call it psychohistory, you know, uh, famous figures and trying to make... A diagnosis. So Ludwig has had just about every diagnosis in the book thrown at him. Schizophrenia, mania, brain damage, uh, brain tumour, personality disorder, and the list goes on. And the most recent article, a very comprehensive historical study by a German historian, maintains that there was nothing wrong with Ludwig. He might have been a bit eccentric, but he certainly wasn't insane. However, if you read some of the things that he did and said, um, they were way beyond any rational or reasonable response. So uh, it's it's fun. Um, and did Ludwig II really kill his psychiatrist? How can we be sure it wasn't the other way around? Well, I think the forensic evidence is enough to show that um, it's more likely von that von Gooden was strangled first and Ludwig then drowned. It's difficult to imagine how it could have happened the other way around. But believe me, there, there's a school, small school of thought somewhere that I'm sure will we'll say that's what's the case. But, you know, von Gooden really was a fairly, despite his academic excellence, was not your idea of a, a hitman, let's put it that way. I don't think he did physically. Uh, he was particularly large or compared to Ludwig. Okay, so tell us about the stage villain, uh, Count von Holstein. He's the one who led the dethroning attempt in March 1886. Yeah, look, I must say that I can't give you too much information except that he was a leading member of the court or the cabinet who had a very vested interest in uh, keeping things keeping control in the hands of the cabinet, meaning the government, rather than the king. And he was the one who really pushed all the buttons to to get rid of Ludwig. And really some of the information he gave was quite outrageous, hugely exaggerated. So um, that was his role. And he, of course, benefited most from uh, the defenestration of Ludwig. Um, and those psychiatrists didn't actually examine the king personally, uh, so their report about the king's mental state is considered unethical. Um, this plays into the debate we've been having uh, these days about whether or not psychiatrists should comment um, on apparently unstable people in power. Um, Donald Trump. <laughs> What's your opinion? Uh, do you think psychiatrists should label people in power like politicians with diagnostic um, labels uh, if the situation calls for it? 
Absolutely not. I think Ruby will remember that I wrote uh, an op-ed in The Australian and one or two other places about this issue. It goes back to what's called the Goldwater Rule, when um, Barry Goldwater ran against Lyndon Johnson in 1964. I think just before the election, Time magazine had a letter or a study or a poll of 115 psychiatrists who all stated that he was mentally unfit to, to be president. And this caused such consternation that the APA uh, set up what's called now the Goldwater Rule. And that's quite simply that psychiatrists, uh, it's unethical behaviour to comment on a living uh, political figure uh, without examining them. So this is uh, receiving a lot of attention with Trump because... A number of psychiatrists have quite clearly broken this rule, and that it's interesting that a number of, that the leading people in saying, "Look, Trump's crazy. He's got this. He's got that," are also publicly listed as supporting the Democrat Party. So it just brings no good for psychiatry. It lowers, lowers the image of the profession. And why did Bavaria change the law so that a psychiatric solution could be sought in the first place? I can't tell you how far back the Constitution goes, but it was just one of the clauses put in the Constitution. You must remember, in in the 19th century, until right fairly well towards the end, uh, most states in Europe were monarchies, and uh, constitutional monarchies of various kinds. And, well, you know what those monarchies were like. They were inbred, insanity was common, um incest was common, all that sort of stuff. So this was a precaution. And what was the traditional way of handling insane kings? The point is very little information on uh, members of royalty being actually put into psychiatric, uh, into asylums, as they were called. What was more likely to happen is that they were tucked away into the, in the castle somewhere and a, a regent would be appointed. So it was all done kind of smoothly behind the scenes with the family's approval. I mean, it's worth noting that Ludwig's brother uh, did die in an asylum, almost certainly from the consequences of syphilis. And as I said, his grandfather had to stand down, because not because he was insane, but because he tried to appoint Lola Montez, the uh, somewhat... Uh, uh, wild uh, dancer to his cabinet and that just uh, led to a constitutional crisis. Um, and you've said that Ludwig's royal, mis- uh, misbeha- sorry, royal misbehaviour was minor league compared to the Romanovs and the Habsburgs. Uh, were they a basket case of royals too? Oh, look, craziness, um, congenital defects, all sorts of things were in the Habsburgs. I mean, they really, because they just were such a small pool and they kept breathing with each other. And the Ragnarvs, if you read the book by Simon, the history by Simon Montefiore, I mean, they were way over the top. Uh, barbarity, brutal execution, sexual excesses. Uh, Ludwig didn't come anywhere near this. What is your favourite fun fact about Ludwig? My favourite fun fact about Ludwig, I think the fact that 
he built these marvelous castles to sort of live out the fantasy of Wagner's opera, and they caused such chaos for him in terms of the government. But today, well, millions of people go to Bavaria, and he's a bit of a cult figure. They've got his picture up in all the hotels and that kind of thing. And how did you do all this research um, for the book? Look, it wasn't too difficult. Uh, you know, one, if, you, if you're involved in psychiatric history, the story of Ludwig is just one of these things that pops up every now and then. And once I got into it, I had no difficulty chasing up all the information. Well, Robert, um, it's absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a great story. Thank you. That was so interesting. So what do you think happened? I had a theory that the psychiatrist was in on the plot to get rid of the king and von Guden, and he invited the king to go for a walk around the lake, told his guards to back off because there was going to be an attempt to possibly assassinate him or kidnap him, and then what happened was the king fought the psychiatrist and his mates off, uh, strangled the psychiatrist, and then Ludwig ended up drowning somehow. That's what I had in my head. It doesn't. It seems more like something more complicated happened. So you're picturing a kind of man on the grassy knoll scenario in this situation, a hidden second shooter. It's definitely a conspiracy. <laughs> what do you think happened? I can see that. Um, I just like to picture it: two men like bear wrestling each other into the water, and then it all like falls apart that way. Um, because I, I think it's interesting that he's taken him off to this quiet clandestine meeting which you know nowadays we sometimes think about psychiatrists as inviting their patient onto you know a reclined chair to sort of sit and talk about themselves you know what was he picturing would happen at midnight you know uh when he like let the guards go did he want to have you know a heart to heart with the king or maybe he started pressing on some homophobic issues and they got into throwing punches but if you look at when his watch stopped it was 6.54, which was only 24 minutes after they started having a conversation, apparently. Mm. It's not a lot of time to push people's buttons. The guy does sound like uh, he's slightly disconnected with reality, though. Uh, Prenta temper, <laughs> shouting at people. I, I could see a mad king kind of getting to that point pretty quickly in 20 minutes or so. So if anyone's interested in hearing more about that story, the book is called The King Who Strangled His Psychiatrist and Other Dark Tales, and it'll be available uh, in the next year, I think. Yep. Uh, and it's almost time for us to go. But before we do, we've got a couple of quirky medical stories this week to share. Yep, that's right. First up, obstetricians and gynecologists in India have broken the world record for the biggest ever line of sanitary pads. They've constructed a gigantic image of the female reproductive system out of over 10,000 pads. It, apparently it took 500 people and seven and a half hours to build. Hmm, and did you hear about the UK government giving soldiers in war zones maggot kits? So maggots are great for keeping wounds clean uh, and have been used for many, many years um, because they only eat necrotic tissue. Maggots have been used for thousands of years by the indigenous Australians and also by soldiers in World War II. But the UK's Project Maggot will see field hospitals breed and sterilise maggots, helping injured soldiers stay alive in places where there's limited access to medical facilities. Oh, that's pretty cool, but also gross. <laughs> so this story's been doing the rounds too. An Irish man has been injecting himself in the arm with his own semen to treat chronic back pain. He got a syringe off the internet and injected himself once a month 
for a year and a half. The case came to light when the man went to hospital with a large abscess on his arm. Obviously, injecting yourself with semen is a terrible idea. Uh, they've done a few studies on rats and rabbits, but nothing in humans. Yeah, don't try this at home. Okay, that's it. Thanks for joining us on the Medical Republic podcast. Next time, we'll be talking about a Kazakhstani internet pirate who is single-handedly bringing down the scientific publishing industry. So, if you feel strongly about pirating, one way or the other, this next episode will be right up your alley.